0: Hey everyone, I'm Jason Hawkins, and I'm on staff with RUF at the University of Nebraska. The past couple of weeks have been pretty crazy, to say the least. And they're changing how we're going to be doing ministry the rest of the semester. And one of those changes is how we're switching up what large group is going to look like. So instead of all gathering together in the same room, hearing worship music and a sermon, We're going to switch it up a little bit and we're going to post a sermon on our podcast platforms earlier in the week and then still gathering together on Thursday nights for Zoom meetings where we'll be able to spend a little bit of time together and then break up into small groups to talk about the sermon, to talk about the passage, and to pray for each other. And so that's going to be what we're doing. So that means that I am not preaching right now to a big room full of a bunch of people. But rather, I'm just standing in my kitchen by myself, speaking these words out into the air. But I hope they impact you and the Lord uses them to to shape your heart as he's shaping mine uh, with his word. And so that's, yeah, just a heads up on what things are looking like, what I'm doing right now. But life is crazy. And in the midst of the craziness, our hope is that we can rest in the mercy and grace of God for us each day. That's a lot of what we're about here in RUF. We're about the grace of God. We believe that you're never too good to be be beyond the need of God's grace and never too bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And I feel my need for his grace today. And I hope you do too. With all the changes in our world, our college experiences, our lives in general, a piece of God's grace to me has been the reminder that he is in charge, that he's on the throne, and that he has all authority. That's what our psalm is about. It's a song about authority. As we've been spending time in the psalms this semester, we recognize that the psalms meet us where we are and they take us where we need to go. Psalm two meets us in our distrust of authority, our desire to be our own authority, and it shows us who is truly in charge and how that should make us feel. So I'll read Psalm 2, I'll pray, and then we'll work through it together. But follow along with me as I read Psalm 2. Psalm 2, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Let's pray. Lord, we are so often like the kings of the nations, just wanting to rage against the idea that we're not in control, that we don't have authority that we don't have power. Uh, But Lord, we're grateful for that because you are the one who is in charge. You are the one who has authority, who has power. You have set your king on your holy hill. And Jesus, you're that king and you rule and you reign um, with grace and mercy and true justice. Lord, would you help us understand what it looks like to submit to your authority to trust it uh, and to yeah, have it shape our lives in ways that are for our good and for your glory. Lord Jesus, would would you do that for us in this time? We pray in your strong and powerful name, Jesus. Amen. So in this psalm, we hear lots of talk about kings. And the main focus of this psalm is the truth that the Lord is king and has authority over everything. But in our sin and brokenness, we want to throw off God's authority and be our own authority. But we'll walk through this tension as we walk through our main points. First, we'll look at our rebellious attitude, at at God's response to that. And finally, we'll see what our proper response to God's authority is. So at the beginning, the psalmist just starts off just by asking a question. He asks, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? Now, that's a a pretty pointed question. It doesn't really seem like he's really looking for an answer. Instead, he sounds kind of dumbfounded. Why is everyone raging and plotting in vain? He adds the last part, in vain, because he knows what the outcome of their raging and plotting will be. He knows it will all come to nothing, but we'll get to that later. Then the psalm moves on to talk about the kings and rulers coming together and taking counsel together. The kings of the earth are coming together to make some sort of alliance or battle plan together against the Lord and his anointed because they want to burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from them. These kings, nations, and peoples want to throw off the authority that the Lord has over them. They're even willing to work together with other rival nations in order to do that. So the question is, what would make them want to? What would make them want to do that? Maybe they think that the Lord is using his authority unjustly or too harshly. They might not understand why he has this authority over them. And they might think that he actually doesn't have any claim to that authority at all. At the bare minimum they want to cast off his authority because they want to be their own authority they think they know better now this isn't just the thought of ancient middle eastern kings it was also the mindset of the very first people back at the beginning of the bible in genesis 1 and 2 god creates everything he forms and breathes his own life into humanity and he places adam and eve in the garden of eden he tells them that they can eat from any tree of the garden except one. And then a serpent comes and asks Eve a question that makes her doubt God's goodness and believe that God is withholding from her and from Adam. And she, It makes her think that she and Adam would be better off if they disobeyed God's authority and chose for themselves. They think they should be their own authority in that moment. And again, this mindset isn't just the authority of the first two human beings or the ancient Middle Eastern kings, but disobeying authority runs deep in our own sinful nature. Just pay attention to the words of every toddler in response to their parents. The Parents would say, turn off your show. It's met with no, it's time for bed. No, don't hit your sister. No, everything is met with a no from a toddler. But again it's not just toddlers look at the actions of every teenager man teenagers just naturally want to rebel as soon as a mom says that some boy isn't good for her daughter to date all the daughter wants to do is to date him even more and a dad could say to his 16 year old son hey don't stay up all night playing video games because you know that you're going to be cranky tomorrow that 16 year old guy is just going to take that Not as a wise rule, but instead he's going to take it as a challenge and try to stay up for like two nights straight just to stick it to his dad. Now, an adult could make a completely reasonable rule forbidding something that a teenager doesn't even want to do, and then all of a sudden it's all they want to do. So for my 14th birthday party, I had a bonfire in my backyard, and my parents just had the rule not to put anything in the fire other than the logs when the fire got low. So do you know what my friend did at that birthday party? He threw an unopened pop can into the fire pit. Now the thing about pop cans is that they're pressurized. And so as it gets hotter and hotter and hotter as it's sitting there in the fire, then the pressure builds up and it builds and builds and builds. And then this pop can exploded and it sent multiple logs out of the fire pit along with a bunch of embers that burnt through the lawn chairs and the blankets that we were sitting on. So my parents were the authority in that moment, and they put in a completely reasonable rule for our own safety. And my friend wasted a completely good Mountain Dew because he just wanted to break the rule and to defy authority. Now I imagine you all have experiences where you defied authority and it didn't go so well for you. We all need to recognize the futility in trying to be our own authority. Now recognizing that is so difficult, especially in our own culture right now. So much of our culture tells us that if something feels right or feels good, then it must be right and it must be good. Well, guess what? Our feelings are super dumb a whole lot of the time. I like to think that I know what's best for me but the vast majority of the time, I don't actually know what that is. And when I do know what's best, I usually don't even want to do whatever that is. We all need to recognize that if we had complete authority over our lives and over this world, we'd do a pretty terrible job using that authority. In the same breath, we need to recognize what the psalmist already seemed to know. There is someone who has that authority and it's God. And because of who God is, he's good in his use of that authority, and he's powerful enough to hold on to his authority when it's challenged. And that's what we'll see in our next point. These kings, nations, and people are rebelling against the Lord and his anointed. And verses 4 through 9, describe the Lord's response to that rebellion. But let's just read verse 4 first. Verse 4 says, He who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord holds them in derision. Now, I want us to notice two things about God in this. First, he is sitting in the heavens. Throughout the scriptures, the heavens are depicted as God's throne room. So here it's saying that God is already sitting on his throne. His authority is being challenged by all the kings of the earth, and God just sits on his throne, and he laughs. He isn't worried at all about their, their attempts to usurp his authority. He knows that the combined power of all these kings and nations, he knows that, that power, and he laughs at the thought that they could overthrow him. It's almost as if he sees this rebellion as like a group of, of toddlers just trying to push him around. And that would be incredibly cocky if it weren't true. The thing is, this doesn't happen anywhere else but with God. I want you to think about all of the Avengers movies that have been so popular over the years. We have, in these movies, these incredibly gifted heroes with varying degrees of power. Now, you might be on the lower end. You've got Hawkeye, who can just shoot a bow and arrow really, really well. And then you've got Thor in there, who is a Norse god. And then there's Captain Marvel, who just came on the scene with her photon powers that I don't really understand at all. But what I do know is that she's super overpowered. She's super OP. And in all these movies, it gets to a certain point about two-thirds of the way through. And the rising action is coming to a fever pitch. The, The intergalactic enemy is bearing down towards the Earth. and The tension's building and building. The music is rising and rising. And then the enemy breaks into Earth's atmosphere. When that happens, the camera cuts to each group of the Avengers, and they all have this most serious expression on their faces, and they're readying themselves for battle. And we see the ones who can fly, they take off into the sky, and the others take off at a dead sprint. All of them jump into action immediately. Now contrast that with what God does. He sits... And he laughs. That's how strong and sure of his authority he is. It can't even really be challenged. And after God sits and laughs, we see in verses 5 and 6 that he speaks. And with just his word, he terrifies the kings of the nations. He says that he has set his king on Zion, his holy hill. Now wait a second. Wasn't God just sitting on the throne in heaven? Doesn't that make him the king? How can he set his king on Zion if he is the king? If we read on, verses 7 through 9 help fill out some of those questions for us. The Lord says that the king is his son. And in ancient Israel, the king was anointed when he was instated as king. And so that shows that this king is also the anointed one that we see earlier in verse 2. The king of Israel was seen as God's son because of the covenant that God made with David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, where God says this. God says, I will raise up your offspring after you, and I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So here God is saying that the line of David... Uh, there will be kings that come after David and there will be kings that will be, God will interact with them as if it's a father and son relationship. And the Lord continues on to say that he will make the nations and the ends of the earth this king's heritage. The Lord is essentially saying that he will make the enemies of the anointed king his inheritance. Now we know from the Old Testament that no Israelite king ruled over all the nations, but as we read into the New Testament, we find a new king with a kingdom that extends that far and is made up of those who were once his enemy. And that that king is also God's son. It's Jesus. And God the Father speaks that at, at his baptism, saying that this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And then Jesus goes on to to fulfill his ministry, to live a perfect life, to die a death on the cross and resurrect. And then in Matthew 28, Jesus says this. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Then the book of Acts describes that happening as the gospel moves out from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And while that's happening, at the same time, uh, the Apostle Paul writes these words in Romans 5, verse 10, where he says, For if while we were, were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. And so... Jesus has this kingdom made up of people who were once his enemies that is extending to the ends of the earth. That's the picture that we have. And his his rule and his reign is depicted in its fullness in Revelation 7, verse 9. And there's this uncountable number of people from every nation, tribe, people, and language, and they're all worshiping the Lord on his throne. So Jesus has already begun this work. By the power of the Spirit, the Christian faith is the most multi-ethnic faith in the world. There are people all over the globe that worship Christ as King. So this picture of what the Lord is doing in our present time and what he will do, which we find in Revelation, those pictures should show us what's true and should cause us to recognize his authority and should draw our hearts to seek and to serve and to worship him as the true king all the more as we look forward to the day where it will be true in its fullness. Seeing this picture of who he is and what he's doing should also lead us to the proper response that the psalmist describes in verses 10 through 12. Now, those verses say, Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Now leaving off the last line, these commands can come off as harsh and overbearing on the surface. Do what I say or else. Set aside all your freedom and you'll escape my wrath. But if you try to have any, then you'll you'll have to bear my wrath. But the last line is as important as it is beautiful. The psalm closes by saying, Blessed are those who take refuge in him. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. What are they taking refuge from? It could be any number of things. The oppressive rule of other kingdoms, the vain raging of the nations, and the pain caused by trying to be their own authority. God invites the kings plotting against him to be wise, and he tells them the two paths that lay before them. Either continue on the way of rebellion that leads to perishing in God's wrath, or to lay aside their swords and their rebellious plans, and instead to come into the path of blessing and refuge. The path of blessing is one of humble submission to the true king's authority. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Time and time again, the scriptures say that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In order to be wise, we need to rightly see who the Lord is and submit to his great power and supreme authority. Now, what would it look like if we didn't do this? if we rejected the Lord's authority. Now, have any of you seen the movie Monty Python and the Holy Grail? For those of you that haven't seen it, it's a movie about King Arthur going around and gathering knights for his round type, his round table, and then they go on and search for the Holy Grail. Now, I grew up watching it, and I think so much of it is funny, but the scene that always sticks out to me is the scene where King Arthur happens upon the Black Knight in a sword fight. And the black knight wins handedly and then takes up his post standing by the bridge that he guards. King Arthur was impressed by how he fought, so he approaches and says the knight fought a valiant battle and asks the black knight to join him in his court at Camelot. But the black knight just stands there and stays silent. So King Arthur asks again and is again met with silence. And then King Arthur starts to cross the bridge and the black knight shouts, None shall pass. And then the knight won't let the king cross. And so they start sword fighting. And in the midst of this, uh, Arthur cuts off one of the arms of the black knight. And then uh, the black knight refuses to yield. And so when he does that, then they're still fighting. And King Arthur ends up cutting off the other arm. And then and then he keeps fighting the Black Knight keeps fighting, keeps thinking that he can win. And then both of his legs get cut off, and each time time a limb gets cut off, King Arthur claims the obvious victory, but the Black Knight keeps coming back for more, thinking that he can win. The Black Knight ends up without any arms or legs because he didn't submit to the king's authority. If he would have taken the king's invitation at the beginning to be wise, he wouldn't have perished. Instead, he would have been a knight of the round table and had all the blessings of being in the king's court. We need to not be like the black knight. We need to take God's invitation to trust in his authority and to take refuge in him. Once we recognize how misleading our own desires to be the supreme authority in our lives are, then we can set them aside and instead trust in Jesus. Now that might look any different ways. Uh, it might look like praying scary prayers. It can be a scary thing to pray and to give your trust to God for the first time or for the thousandth time. In trusting the Lord as our authority, that means that we need to give Him the opportunity to tell us what to do. So often, the focus of college is is to graduate and get the perfect job. Now, for me, for the first twenty years of my life. I was positive that i was going to be a doctor then one day i realized that i was holding so tightly to that idea that i wasn't letting god have any authority over my career i remember the moment that i realized that and i prayed that the lord would open my hands there and that's when the lord redirected my path from medicine to ministry now while it was a scary prayer to pray I look back now and I'm I'm so incredibly grateful that the Lord took control of my life because I know I'm experiencing so much more joy. Now I've come so much more alive and I feel in my bones that I'm doing what I was made for. God had my best interests at heart when he, when he called me to this, when he had me open my hands and he gave me something new. That's not always what happens. Sometimes he just makes what we have planned better, but sometimes he changes it for the better. And so what areas of your life are you holding with clenched fists? What are you holding to so tightly that you have white knuckles? What aspects of your life do you want to have soul control over? It can be terrifying to think about opening your hands on those things because you don't know if they're going to be taken from you or what can be put in their place if they are. Now, whenever I'm worried about that, whenever I feel that way, the Lord, in his kindness, he brings me to these few verses. To James 1.17, to Psalm 84.11, and to Romans 8.32. And I'll read those for us now. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Every good gift we have is from God, and he withholds no good thing. And how do we know that? It's because he gave us the best gift ever. He gave us his son. Now, if you're afraid that God is just like every other authority in this world that wants something from you, or just uses you to advance themselves at your cost, I want you to look to Jesus he came here to live a perfect life, to die a death for our sins that, so that you could have life and have it abundantly. He knows what you need, and he is what you need. He is the most generous and gracious authority, and he also is the one who has the wisdom to know you better than you know yourself, and he wants to give you true life as you take refuge in him and his finished work for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are, you are king. You rule and you reign in the heavens. You know what's best for us, even when we're so sure that we know, or even when we're so sure that we don't. Lord, you don't change. You were the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you rule and you reign and you bend you bent history towards your will, towards your glory, and so, Lord, we we recognize now more than almost ever, more than I ever have, Lord, that that I'm not in control, that humanity is not in control of what happens. Uh, yeah, these past few weeks have just made that so clear to me. But Lord, you are in control. And you care for your people and you care for your creation and you know what's best. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use this moment in history for your glory. I pray that you would help, re- help us remember uh, that you were in control. And that you, yeah, that you work things for our good and for your glory. Lord, would you help us rest in that now and forever? We pray this in your strong name, Lord Jesus. Amen.